Welcome to the Genuinely You podcast channel, which is packed with advice and tips on how to live your life with purpose. Do you wish you felt happy and fulfilled? Are you feeling stuck, wishing things could be better? Are you ready to take some action and create the life you want? To start living an empowered life, you need to recognize and make full use of the power and freedom that comes from being genuinely you. Your host is Gina Gardner, a number one best-selling author whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognize that they can. Hi there, this is Gina Gardner. I'm your host on Passionate World Radio. I'm really pleased to be with you today. We're going to be looking at the theme of teams. So I want you to think about teams and how they work. What makes a great team? And let's look at that from the point of view of being a team member and actually being the leader or manager who's trying to create the dream team, the great team. Before I start, let me introduce Rachel Davison. Um, both of us are international um, best-selling authors. Yes. Rachel has written The Point of Me, which is a spiritual novel. I can thoroughly recommend it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I have a couple of best-selling uh, books by Chariots on Fire and the latest book, Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment. And if we're looking at the pathway of success, I think that the teamwork falls not only into that, but also in terms of relationships and beliefs, which are two of the other pathways. Yes. So, when you think about organisations, or families for that matter, they constitute a team, don't they? Yes. A collection of people. And I think when teams are working well, they fly and the organisation or the family does really, really well. Yes. But in so many situations, the teams are dysfunctional, that they're not getting the best out of, of the people within the team. Yes. And I think it's important to recognise that the relationship um, that we have within a team is the responsibility of every person within that team and also the responsibility of the person who sets that team up and gives them whatever role that they have to play. Yes. And I think so often they're seen as completely separate things. Yeah, yeah. For me, creating a team, let's talk about the business side of things, mm -hmm. and that's probably going to be the main focus of today. Perhaps yeah. we'll look at families in a, in a later um, session. Yeah. But in the business environment there are those informal teams which happen because people are thrown together that they are loosely working on the same thing which is to make the team of uh, the organization successful yes and then there are teams that are brought together to do a particular project yeah or because they have a specific function yes. within the organization yes but they all have to all teams have to have some kind of common goals, some kind of Absolutely. shared objective, don't they? Otherwise, they're, they're, not, they're not by definition, I think, a team as no. such. They're just a collection of people. Who have yeah. geographically close, possibly, whilst yeah. working together. <laughs> so they have to have a shared understanding of where they're headed. Yes. And I think that's probably where the first problem occurs. Right. When yeah. whoever set the team up or set the project up does not have clarity about what it is that's intended, yep. 
where the lines of engagement are. So many teams fail because they have not sorted out um, how much autonomy they have, yes. how much authority they have. Yes. Um, and so if they don't know that, they either overstep the mark or they fall short of the mark because they're trying to second guess what they're supposed to do. Yeah. But I think we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, mm -hmm. really, because for me, before any team is created, you have to consider the culture of the organisation. Yeah. And if you have an organisation where, um, you know, people are frightened to do the wrong thing because they'll upset somebody, or if they get it wrong, they're going to get a tongue lashing, or they're going mm -hmm. to be publicly humiliated, mm -hmm. which is what happens in many organisations, the team's going to be hamstrung. Yes. Because they're going to be frightened to do anything that might be slightly out of the box yes. in case they get into trouble. So, so from that, my, my message I hear from that is <clears throat> that the main take-out um, is that for a team to be effect working effectively, they have to A, know where they're headed, yes. but also they have to have a great deal of trust in, you know, into team. Yes, with the leader, but also within the team itself, yep. you know, up and down to the leader from the team members, but also within the team members themselves, where there presumably also another level of hierarchy as well. But, but everybody fundamentally has to trust everybody else to be getting on, heading towards, not working yep. against. So from, I think that one of the important things, if you're a manager or, or a leader who is listening to this, or even if you're a, a, you know, part of a, a family, because I think the same rules apply, mm -hmm. that having a shared understanding of what are the values, what are the things that we hold dear, what are the things that we want to protect, and what are the things that we think are up for negotiation and things that should not be part of what goes on. Yeah. Now, interestingly, you often get great teams when the leader's rubbish. Yes. Because those teams, so long as they know what they're about, they will come together. Yes. And despite, or almost because, not what I'm suggesting bad leadership no. um, is a good it's idea. Risky, isn't it? It <laughs> is. But I worked for two heads who were totally unengaged. Mm. And the team of the of the teachers was very, very close knit because fundamentally giving the kids the very best education that they could yes. was the goal. Yes. And growing one another within the team yes. in order to give the children the best education yes. was an equal and um, an important goal. And for me, that's a big part of being a team. Mm. That part of it is that you have responsibility for yourself mm. and your performance, for lack of it. But also, it's your each person in the team yes. to work to their strengths and to help strengthen Yes. other people's skill based and experience and yes. actually grow the team as a whole. That scenario makes me think of a couple of uh, situations that I had when I was uh, working um, as, a, as a senior consultant in corporate land and um, one of the things I used to think about was when you had a rubbish leader, um, which usually in my experience meant that, that they were possibly outside of their skill levels, you know, punching a little bit too high. Yeah. They were fearful. They they found it very difficult to take decisions. Yeah. Um, so they procrastinated. Yeah. They were never clear about the direction and so on. Um, 
it had a it had a force to make the the team that I was part of come together because they were a common enemy in yes. many regards. But it was never. I mean, I, I suppose if, if you've got a leader that is um, ineffectual but fundamentally benign and sort of slightly not there but isn't really interfering too much, then having a common enemy, so to speak, as in, oh, well, what can we expect from him? Let's just get yeah. on and do it ourselves type of mentality can work very effectively. However, however, it's a hugely dangerous route to take. It's very risky, isn't it? Because fundamentally, if you've not got a good leader... You are a weaker team because of it. And well, there's, there's no way around that, is there? Well, because unless you are... Um, it was easy in a school setting because mm. the the wish, the desire to give children the very best education mm. that you could was very clear-cut. In most organisations, and you know, since 2004, I've worked with many organisations, mm. often things are not that clear-cut. So yeah. unless the vision of what it is people are working towards is not only very clear yeah but shared and explicitly shared yes and there is um that everybody is joining forces to that common aim yes then i think a lot of potential is wasted and a lot of time and energy is wasted in trying yes. to understand what it is that we're yes. about do, do you think the fact that in, in your example that the the objective is very altruistic Yes. Versus in a corporate environment where, yes, you know, it is altruistic in the sense that you're trying to do a good service or product to a customer, but ultimately, there's a bottom down, line, isn't there? It comes down to the profit margin yeah. and and the the manner in which you go into yeah. teaching is a is um, a vocational. Yes, I um, think in that sense that people feel problems. drawn to do it. Yeah. Whereas sitting in an administration team or a consultancy team yeah. or um, you know a, a bunch of lawyers. Is it as altruistic? Is it therefore harder when you've got a, a bad leader to pull forward your personal values, or do you just start to, you know, collapse into a bit of a morass? It's an interesting conundrum because I don't want people to think um, immediately that if you have a vocation, that mm. any group of people will make a great team. Because patently, that isn't the case. No. No. It just happened in both circumstances that I was in that all of the people within the staff or at least the vast majority, had absolutely shared values. Yes. That their view of what made an excellent education was very similar. Yes. And so I think it's a really good point that any team, whether you're working for um, something that is vocational and altruistic, mm -hmm. or whether it's the profit line, mm -hmm. having clarity about what it is you're trying to achieve, and for me the big question is, what's your why? Yes. If you know why you're doing it, yes, and that you believe in what you're doing, yes, your level of uh, commitment, passion, engagement is mm. going to be different. We're doing this because we've been told to. Mm. Um, um, Simon Sinek, in particular, yes. talks about the power of why, doesn't he? Yes. He relates it to uh, uh, biological, you know, physiological yeah. brain makeup as well. Uh, his point is essentially that. But when we say what is the why, what is the objective, yeah. we're talking about a gut instinct value, something that's absolutely sort of it's primary integral, it's, it's hot wired yeah. into you. And I think one of the things that concerns me is uh, the more I work with clients, the more I recognise that we are in a, a period of time where, and I think it's got worse since 2008 9 when the recession hit, yeah. 
that people are fearful for their jobs, yes. for um, the future of their company, and many managers and leaders are leading from a place of fear. There's more bullying, there's more tactics which are designed to divide yeah. rather than to bring people together. Yeah. And I believe it's in, in times of challenge where it's all the more important to have a sense of being belonging and have a shared understanding of what it is you want to achieve. Yeah. So let me give you an example. I was Three years ago I started working with an organisation and when I first started to work with them, um, in the first week or so, my understanding was that the business was doing well. Right. Once I started to dig, and I didn't have to dig very hard, what I recognised is that the business was going to go bankrupt within a very short time unless they fundamentally changed their practice. Wow. It was that desperate. Wow. And so instead of going in and, and you know um, making some minor changes, the only way the business was going to survive was by making major, major changes, mm -hmm. making people redundant, mm -hmm. and actually utilising the opportunity to look what did, was the business going to aim for in the next five to ten years, yeah. and who of the people that were within the business currently were actually going to support their growth over that five or ten years. Yes. Now the, the business of making people redundant was incredibly painful because yes, this was right. a, a family-run firm who mm -hmm. had huge loyalty, right. but their very loyalty was destroying the business. Right. They were overstaffed, they had staff who were round pegs in square holes, who were very stuck in their ways and not ready to make the change. So for the first six months, that was an incredibly painful business. It was like mm. having to cut out mm. a piece of... of um, mm. It's like that bloke stuck down the candy with his hand stuck in the rock, isn't it? He's yeah. going to have to chop his arm off if he's going to survive. survive. <laughs> but then came the business of how when people were at rock bottom, mm. how do you then build those people up to become a team who are ready to move into the future? who are ready to grow individually, yeah. but also to help their colleagues grow. Yeah. And so for the next year, we put into place a huge amount of training around leadership. And it didn't matter whether you were directors or senior managers or deputy managers or the, the work the team workers. Yeah. The principle of leading yourself, being yeah. the very best whatever yeah. you can be, was vital, I think, to the organisation's survival. Yes. Actually creating a clear, shared vision that everybody understood that if they wanted to the business um, to do well, not only because they had a huge loyalty to it, because actually they wanted to have a job to go to yeah. in the future, and they wanted to provide a great service for the public, over that year, um, things began to really crystallise in terms of what it, what do we need to be doing, how do we need to be behaving, yes. what are the changes we need to make. Yes. And everybody was committed yes. to making those changes. And I have to say, for many of them, it was a very painful 
journey because they had been doing the same old, same old yes. for many, many years. Yes. But getting people in the strategic places within an organisation where they don't necessarily have to have the whole skill set or all of the experience, but they need the potential yeah. and the capacity to learn and the preparedness yes. to learn. Yes. And a big part of this organisation's success, and they have been incredibly successful, was to create the entire team yeah. organisation. And they employ about 70 people. Right, 70, and right. then yeah. to create each section a strong, cohesive team. So yes. not only did they have the vision for the whole organisation, yes. but that was broken down into a vision for each section. Yeah. How do we as a section help deliver the main vision? Yeah. We then did training in what makes a great team leader, what makes a good manager, and what makes a good team member. Yes. Because I think it's there is there are behaviours mm -hmm. which you need to employ as both a, a leader and also as a team member. Yes. And of course we have to remember that there are sometimes teams where they are all of equal status. Yeah. You know, yeah, your, um, there are many projects which come together where there isn't a particular leader, but people will lead on their area of expertise. experts, yeah, matrix management and all, all those aspects that come to it. So I think the first thing I would, we've talked about is having a clear vision, understanding your why. Uh -huh. The second is being very clear and explicit about what is acceptable behaviour mm. and what is not. Mm. And one of the things that I teach when I'm working with teams is there's no room for ego. Mm. That mm. The best idea is the idea that you've been planted and other people will run with as their own. Mm. But give credit and give credit fulsomely for people's contribution. That mm. if you're so worried about being seen to succeed, that mm. you are prepared to take the credit for other people's ideas, yeah. other people's work, yeah. you're not going to win friends and influence mm. them. Mm. You have lost the moral high ground. Yeah. Um, and so thanking people, giving credit where it's due, I think is really important. Yes. For me, probably the biggest skill that people need is that of being able to listen. Yes, listen actively. That's true in business life and in all areas life, life in general, isn't it? isn't it? Yes. But how many people do you know where they're involved in a group discussion, they're busy formulating what they're going to say yeah. rather than listening to what people have to say? Yeah, they're listening more for the, uh, the love, the gaps, so they can interject. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're working out how they can contribute, not for the contribution Safe, but so they can be seen to yes. be contributed. I think yes. there's a huge difference there. Yes. So actively listening. Yeah. If you're clear about what you're trying to achieve, actively listening, and being prepared to think outside the box. Yeah. To get outside your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, things you've done in the past may very well be useful, and I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But just as equally, if you want to move into a new territory, if you want things to be even better, things yes. to grow, yes. you've got to be prepared to try new things. Active listening is, is one of 
um, if I can just be a bit extreme just to make the point really, is one of the most dangerous things that, um, that I think a person can approach doing. Dangerous because it can be massively effective for you, but also in its, in its application, you look a bit strange to the team that you're doing. And I, I, I say this from personal experience. I went from an organisation that was highly toxic and, and, um, and into a smaller company that was a start-up and it was, you know, much more sort of, you know, flexible and, um, uh, and they didn't have much hierarchy. And having been in the toxic environment, I thought, I did a practice, you know, I've been spending the first six, nine months of my life in this new company listening. I'm going to wait, I'm going to hold my tongue, I'm not going to dash straight in the solutions because, you know, I find it easy to fix things, um, but no, I'm going to hold back, I'm going to just bide my time and really see. And I enjoyed it, it wasn't dangerous in the sense that, yeah. you know, it felt risky, but my manager after about six months said, Rachel, what are you doing? You're not doing anything, you're, you know. And, I, and then, and so then it became like, oh right, okay, hang on, yes, I'd sort of swung the pendulum a bit too far, possibly. I think we need to put the emphasis on the active. Yes. Active listening is listening with purpose. Yes. It does not mean that you do not make a contribution and you learn that. Well, I was making a contribution in the sense that I, uh, but I wasn't doing the usual ego thing of always speaking up in meetings always having something to say no matter what. I was right. waiting until I had something it really... What, what, what's that, that um, legend about Einstein? He said he didn't speak for the first three years and eventually he did come out with a full sentence and yes. his mother said, why haven't you spoken for the first three years of your life? And he says, well, I didn't have anything interesting to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I was waiting in that yes. sense. But it's such an unusual skill. That's yes. what I mean when dangerous. It's such an unusual skill. But, but actually, the cultures that most people will be working don't expect it and don't understand no. what you're doing. And that's, I think, where the training comes in. Yeah. And I think there is a difference for me in terms of, and that's, I think that's where the skill of whoever's facilitating the, the, the group creation um, or who's leading the group yeah. in opportunities to say, for example, right, we are now going to spend a few minutes and no idea is stupid, everybody come up with you know, three ideas that you think will work. Because although often none of the ideas will work, something out of those will often spark the idea that will work. Yeah. And other times when you know you recognise that people are listening and are waiting in order to have something formulated. Yes. And there are the people who blurt and they yes. think through their speaking. Yes and order their thoughts through their speaking. Yes. And other people who settle back, who formulate it all a bit like Einstein and then come forward. Yeah. And I think the skill within the group is recognising that there is a place for both. Absolutely. Yeah. And that you value both for their contribution. Yeah. But at the same time, for the people who are you know, the actual people, that if you are somebody who is a blurter, um, <laughs> Who formulates your idea um, on the hoof? Yeah. Be mindful that actually that can take a lot of time off your meeting, yes. getting nowhere. Yes. And you might be better just doodling in your book your ideas for a couple of minutes in order to get those yeah. sorted yes. before you then blurt. Yes. In the same way that if you are someone who is thinking it's not worth it saying, look, um, I'm just 
thinking about this. Yeah. Um, just give me a, a bit of time and I'll come back to you rather yeah. than leaving a big silence. Because that's the big thing also, that the factor, that the variable, is that in, often in big companies you are well known to all of your colleagues. Yeah. Um, you're coming together, you spend five, ten minutes a month together maybe. Um, and it could be international that you're doing yeah, it, you're not you even in the same room. That's right. So, you know, you haven't got that energetic sense yeah. of somebody, you haven't, you know, got all of those other yeah. social connections yes. that are very important to us. You know, we're basic human beings at the end of the day, aren't we? And, um, and so, so in a corporate environment, you have to act almost in a artificial way to accommodate the fact that Fred sitting next to you doesn't really understand it this is the way your brain works, yeah. and he's not, he's not got time to understand it in, in this space. So you've got to help, haven't you? you? So you've got to behave in a way that, yes, it's helpful to him, his lack of knowledge about you, but also your lack of knowledge about him, but also the whole thing of why you're in here what the objective is. Compare that to a small company, a, a more of a family-shaped company, yes. and human connection is so much easier and knowledge of an individual's quirks and traits is can work for you or against you. Or against, yeah. yes, because obviously there is the downside to yeah. not having um, diversity and so on. But but I do think that, that certainly in the corporate life that was a constant variable that I had to yeah. juggle with is they don't understand what yeah. I think, they don't understand. I've got to put myself across in a way that's quick, efficient and yet I need to have all this thinking time over yes. here. Again, I think that comes down to the skill of the person who's put the group together and how it's set up yeah. um, and making clear the parameters within that situation yeah. so that um, the people are not only operating in terms of the project but also have some understanding in terms of operating yes. as a team. Yes. For those who, who are engaged with us today, we'd love to know what you think um, and you know, let us know what what your thoughts are about what makes a great team, what actually works against teams being effective, and if you're a manager, you know, what are the approaches that you use, and have they been effective, and where have you struggled? Because then we can, in future um, episodes, make sure that we cover some of this. Um, our time's quite limited now, so there, I'd like to crack on in terms of some of the other things which help to make a great um, a great team. Communication, we've, we've sort of edged around it, yeah. but I think there needs to be a shared language yes. that you define together what you mean by yes. the vision, what you mean by um, what's going on. Yes, so in, in previous um, shows we've talked about the word excellence. Yes, and how what does it look like? It, it can mean so many different things yes. to so many different people. Yeah. And what behaviours need to be seen in order to uh, feel that that excellence has been met. Yes. And um, for me, one of those things, particularly within a team, and that it's worth when a team is, you know, go through the normal storming bit, that yes. actually they identify what are we about, mm -hmm. you know, what are the levels of engagement that we expect from everybody. Because I think expectation and matching that expectation is yes. really important. Yes. So, you know, what is the contribution that you're expecting? I mean, in some teams it would be an equal contribution of time. Yeah. Sometimes it would be different expertises. Yeah. Sometimes you would have people coming into the team for a very short time in order to fulfil a very specific role. Yeah. But it's useful to have that created and understood by all before you start. Yes. 
for me, I think when I look at the teams where I've been most frustrated, uh-huh. it's when there has been there have been people who've been not pulling their weight. Yeah. That you know that the vast majority of the team are working hard, and somebody else's definition of working hard sits so far outside the box. Yes. Um, or you have people within the team who are what I call the R but brigade. <laughs> now they have a real value. But if they are not managed, the R but, or we always did it like this, yeah. can just bring a team to its knees. Yes. And so if you're somebody who, who knows that they struggle with change, if you've got a, a, an R but, have a solution or a potential solution that you can offer as well. Yes. Or if you're a team member, one of the things that works very well is to say to everybody, Let's get all of the buts, all of the we can't out of the way. Yeah. Let's get yeah, all of the difficulties, potential difficulties, and let's for a moment park them. Yes. Now let's look at okay. Yeah. How do we solve those our buts, those problems yes. that actually meet our goal? Yes. Lack yes. of time, lack of money, yep. lack of, of uh, people resources are yep. really, really big um, issues. Yes. And for many teams, they say, well, we can't achieve it. Yeah. I mean, risk analysis is a whole discipline in it, yeah. discipline of project management overall. But isn't it interesting? My school was budgeted at the bottom of the pile yes. in my borough. Yes. We had the shallowest leadership um, structure because we couldn't afford to pay yeah. um, for a seniority um, post. Yeah. And yet we were on the top 100 schools in the country list. Yeah. And why is that? Yeah. We lacked resources, we lacked money. Yes. What we didn't lack is commitment to find a way through yes. and the capacity to create teams of people yeah. who were able to find a way through. Yes. Who had the belief that it was possible. There you go. Really important. We always yes. come back to beliefs, don't we? We do. <laughs> um, and the commitment to make it happen. Yes. And I would say that. that you know, if you're putting a team together, be clear that there are enough people with the um, with the capacity, either who have the experience it's needed or the capacity to gain that experience quickly, and who are ready enough for it. Yeah. Make sure that those people have the tools uh, with which to work. Yeah. And if you're somebody who has a tendency to micromanage, I think that you need to be really clear that what you're not doing is killing the team dead. Yes. Um, and maybe that micromanaging, that's your need for control. Which and is possibly your fear. <laughs> it always comes down to fear. <laughs> and I think maybe that's um, a theme for uh, another, another session. Yeah. Um, so we're pretty well at the end of our session today. So thank you very, very much for joining us. You can find lots of information on my website, genuine-u.com. Um, and you can get a free digital download of the latest book, Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment. Um, please let us know what you think, make some comments, ask us to cover some other things. We'll look forward to seeing you in the next show. Um, thanks very much for joining me. So, this is Gina Gardner here, um, your host on Passionate World Radio, saying goodbye and see you next time. Bye now. 
You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work, spanning over 30 years, of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled, and how to achieve it. Please visit genuinely-you.com today to find out more.